In just a moment, Pastor Dan is going to come and share uh, from John chapter 9, the story of uh, Jesus healing the man born blind. And we're going to read that passage, that text for you this morning. This is John 9, 1 to 12. As he went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus. But this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. As long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. After saying this, he spit on the ground, made some mud with the saliva, and put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam. This word means sent. So the man went and washed and came home seeing. His neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging asked, Isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? Some claimed that he was. Others said, No, he only looks like him. But he himself insisted, I am the man. How then were your eyes open, they asked. He replied, the man they called Jesus made some mud and put it on my eyes. He told me to go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed, and then I could see. Where is this man, they asked him. I don't know, he said. Continuing in John 9 at verse 13, they brought to the Pharisees the man who had formerly been blind. Now, it was a Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. Then the Pharisees also began to ask him how he had received his sight. He said to them, he put mud on my eyes, then I washed, and now I see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, for he does not observe the Sabbath. But others said, how can a man who is a sinner perform such signs? And they were divided. So they said again to the blind man, what do you say about him? It was your eyes he opened. He said, he is a prophet. The Jews did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they called the parents of the man who had received his sight and asked them, is this your son who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? His parents answered, we know that this is our son and that he was born blind but we do not know how it is that he now sees, nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him. He is of age. He will speak for himself. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jews, for the Jews had already agreed that anyone who confessed Jesus to be the Messiah would be put out of the synagogue. Therefore, his parents said, he is of age. Ask him. So for the second time, they called the man who had been blind, and they said to him, give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. He answered, I do not know whether he is a sinner. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. They said to him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered them, I have told you already, and you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? Then they reviled him, saying, You are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. The man answered, 
here is an astonishing thing. You do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but he does listen to one who worships him and obeys his will. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a person born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered him, you were born entirely sins, and are you trying to teach us? And they drove him out. Verse 35, Jesus heard that they had driven him out, and when he found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, And who is he, sir? Tell me, so that I may believe in him. Jesus said to him, You have seen him, and the one speaking with you is he. He said, Lord, I believe, and he worshipped him. The word of the Lord. You have to admit, these are strange times. There are so many new and unexpected situations. Yesterday, when I woke up, I slipped down the back stairs in my boxers and into the kitchen to get my morning medicine. Nancy was already in the kitchen listening to some newscaster, so I leaned in to see who she was listening to since I didn't have my glasses on yet. She shrieked in a loud stage whisper, they can see you. What? I responded. They can see you, she said, pushing me away. And then I realized she was in a Zoom meeting and those faces weren't newscasters, but people she knew. I ducked out of the room in a hurry. Lots of new things everywhere. Some questions, however, are as old as the hills. Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? This is just one version of the question, whose fault is all of this? If you haven't heard this already, you will hear it. Someone is going to say, this virus is God's judgment for the sin of the world. When you hear it said, don't believe them. Don't believe it. God in Christ already responded to the sin in the world. When God saw the sin in the world, he sent Jesus. God's response to the sin of the world in this age is this. Jesus died on a cross to make it possible for us to be forgiven of our sins, to overcome our sin and be re reunited with God. That is the character of the God we serve. In this age, the wrath of God is revealed against sin in this way. So Paul says in Romans 1, 18, 24, 26, these are the words. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and wickedness of those who by their wickedness suppress the truth. Therefore, God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity to the degrading of their bodies among themselves. Verse 26, for this reason, God gave them up to degrading passions. Verse 28, and since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind and to things that should not be done. God's wrath against sinfulness is that he gives his people the right to reap the consequences of the choices that they make. 
He gives the sinful up. He hands them over to themselves. That's different than many folks' thoughts about what the wrath of God is. But it is a frightening thought nonetheless. Think about the current crisis. Imagine knowing that there is a deadly pestilence around, but not being able to get any communication, no services, no information, no testing, no treatment. If you cut yourself off from all of the sources of those who are trying to help, you are left to your own fear, your own wisdom, and the consequences of your own uninformed opinions and choices. I, for one, do not want to be left alone. And I especially do not want to be left alone by God. I do not want to be handed over to myself. I want to trust myself into the hands of a loving, righteous, just, and merciful, compassionate God. But in this passage, we have the story of a blind man. The disciples want the current situation explained. It seems that Jesus is saying that blindness, blindness isn't a punishment, but that in everything, God's glory can be revealed. First today, I want to say that whatever you're experiencing, it isn't a punishment. God is still working to redeem, to restore every part of creation. And that includes me, and that includes you. Offer him your ability and disability. Offer him your health and your illness. Offer him your wealth and your poverty. Give every situation to him and watch what he will do. I think it's very hard for us to understand the true nature of the things we endure. Things we assume to be hardships turn out to be blessings. Things we assume to be blessings turn out to be tragedies. Ask the winners of the megabucks lotteries whose lives end in divorce, bitterness, division, and hopelessness. Winning looked like a blessing. It turned out to be a curse. In this story, the blind man healed by Jesus, the great reversal is simply this. At the beginning of the story, there is a blind man who has an encounter with God. And God's redemptive and healing work changes everything. The one who cannot see is now able to see. In fact, his vision is so far improved that not only his eyes were healed, but his mind as well. He begins by not knowing who it was that healed him. By the end of the story, he understands that his healer is the Son of God. And yet those pesky Pharisees, whose eyesight is a perfect 20-20, can't even see the noses on their own faces. They can't see past the Sabbath restrictions to the heart of this miraculous healing. They mistake benevolent healing for criminal disobedience. They can't see that the blind man really has been healed, and they doubt his identity, doubt that he was ever blind. Essentially, they can't believe anything they don't understand. They can't see that the gracious gift of healing would likely come from a righteous man. They are blinded by any person or an action that doesn't fit into their own clever religious categories. They can't even see the joy in the man who was healed, 
the joy that verifies the healing that took place. They are blind to the emotional response of the no longer blind man and can't share in his joy. Think of the tragedy of not being able to share in the joy of the miracle because you find no joy in it. And so you tell me, who is really blind? The one whose eyes don't work or the ones who simply refuse to see? I love the fact that after the Pharisees kick the no longer blind guy out of the synagogue, Jesus goes and looks for him. I suspect that Jesus probably wouldn't have followed up if the religious leaders hadn't made such a mess of the situation. But you can feel the heart of Jesus in this, can't you? He's always out to bind the broken, to heal the sick, to rescue the forsaken. And when the blind man finally sees Jesus for who he is, he worships. That's the only right response, isn't it? To worship. Worship the one who opened the eyes of the blind, who opened our blind eyes so that we also could see the light of the world. This is a hymn we used to sing. The whole world was lost in the darkness of sin. The light of the world is Jesus. Like sunshine at noonday, his glory shone in. The light of the world is Jesus. Come to the light, is shining for thee. Sweetly the light has dawned upon me. Once I was blind, but now I can see. The light of the world is Jesus. Amen. I would invite you to prepare your hearts to receive communion at this time. Gather your elements together. There is something uncomfortable about communion today because we are not assembled as one body. In 1 Corinthians 11, Paul, talking about the abuses of the communion meal in the Corinthian church, summarizes like this. For all who eat and drink without discerning the body, eat and drink judgment against themselves. I think what Paul is saying is that if we do not understand the nature of the body of Christ, we will end up abusing the fellowship. Maybe not taking seriously how important it is that we are together as one. Or not taking seriously our responsibility for one another. Or not taking seriously our need to protect one another. Or not really understanding how interlinked and, and how necessary we are to one another. We must discern the body if we are going to appropriately receive this meal together. There's a famous story told about a communion meal held just a few days before Dietrich Bonhoeffer was executed. In that setting, in a concentration camp, there was no privacy and certainly no elements for a communion meal. So some of the inmates conspired with Bonhoeffer to provide a distraction so that the small circle of Christians in the camp could observe hands. Today, our hands are not empty, but we are empty of one another. Some of us are privileged to have a few others with us. 
Some are completely alone. We have the elements of the meal, but we don't have each other. And so in our hearts, we reach out to one another to make up for the lack of the physical presence of the body of Christ in us. And I think it also makes sense to pledge that we will never take for granted our assembling together again in the days after this crisis is past. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. Holy, holy is He. Sing a new song to Him who sits on heaven's mercy seat. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. With all creation I sing praise to the King of kings. You are my everything, and I will adore you. his love. Think about his goodness. Think about his grace that's brought us through. For as high as the heavens above, so great is the measure of our Father's love. Great measure of our Father's love. Think about His love. Think about His goodness. Think about His grace that's brought us through. For as high as the heavens above, so great is the measure And now may the peace of Christ guard your hearts. May the joy of the Lord be your strength. And by his grace, may he so live in you that his glory will be reflected on your face to everyone you see.
Amen.